We're going to uh, this morning, if you have sleeves, go ahead and roll them up because uh, we're just going to dive right into our passage for the sake of our uh, time together. The theme for the day is focusing our attention on what are some of the hallmarks of a God-formed community where Jesus is the center of that community. Uh, We're going back for the next several weeks to look uh, at a few passages in the Gospel of Luke, back because we had started Luke uh, some months ago and uh, took a pause from it. We're going to come back and pick it up uh, and go on a little bit farther from there. But today, uh, thinking about from some healing terminology, about some of the hallmarks of what a Christ-centered community is all about. And healing in this sense... Healing from that which has been broken into being restored again. Out of fracturedness into repairedness. Brokenness to restored uh, living. And in three unexpected ways, really, in the way these little vignettes of the gospel story, one after another, are laid out, we see Jesus... Uh, responding in some unexpected ways. In the first one, we see that uh, his healing and the, the community that is formed is taking a man who is outside of the community, outside of the faith community, and restoring him to the faith community. And then we'll see how because Jesus forgives sins, that our broken relationship with God is restored and renewed. And then we'll wrap up with uh, looking at Jesus being the great physician, and where a doctor goes is where the healing needs to happen. And so, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Jesus is beginning, uh, as Luke lays out his gospel, to now uh, turn a corner to describe the community of people that he is calling together to himself in order to be for uh, the work of God's kingdom. We're going to read a couple of these, and I'm going to summarize another as we think together. This first one is about Jesus restoring, healing someone, and restoring him back to the community. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 5. Here's what the Bible says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. A healing that restores a broken relationship back to the community. Jesus touches this person who's described as a leper. This is a word used in the Bible uh, for people who might suffer from various types of skin diseases. And, And it really is rooted out of Leviticus chapter 14, where when God was forging that community as they first came out of captivity in Egypt, and He was giving them instructions on how their community is to be set, Um, In order to avoid contagions, uh, those who had certain 
the skin diseases would be set out of the community for a time. And when they thought that that skin disease had been healed, here was the process. Leviticus 14 lays out a process. We won't go into it today, but it's actually quite a, an interesting description and a picture of symbols that point to the redemption of God and the cleansing of a life and, most importantly, the restoring of that life back to the community. Um, and here's what happens, because people uh, at certain, when they would suffer with certain things, they were thought to be ceremonially unclean, meaning that they were set outside of the normal spiritual and religious practices of the people. And so a person who would have a skin disease like this would, would find themselves uh, alienated from the community. They would be set out outside. They wouldn't be allowed to participate in certain of the, the practices that shaped them as part of the community. And it was, it was a difficult time. And they were ostracized in many ways from that community. And in this picture of Jesus coming and what we're supposed to, at least in part, take from this encounter as Jesus is forming His community is uh, the way a first century Jewish mind would look at this was that uh, not only is the person who was a, a considered a leper considered unclean. In fact, they would, they would cover themselves and as they, other people might approach them, they would have to cry out, Unclean! Unclean! In other words, stay away! Because as they were thought to be um, sinful and uh, the way J a Jewish mind of the day thought about sins was a lot of the same way we think about germs. If, uh, if I went and sneezed <gasps> really big in my hand and I walked up to you and offered that hand to shake it, would you be eager to grab my hand? <laughs> Probably not. Unclean! That's right. What would you want to do? You'd want to reach in your pocket and pull out some hand sanitizer. Squirt it in my hand so that I could be cleansed first. And then you might touch me, right? Shake my hand. Well, a Jewish mind would, would consider sin in a similar way. That those who were considered sinful or suffering from certain types of uh, uh, diseases and things, that they would not want to be touched because the, the effects and the impact of that would be brought into their life in the same way we think about germs being brought into our life. So when Jesus stands and this leper approaches him and says, Jesus, if you're willing, won't you make me clean? Jesus reaches out his hand. It was a risky move for a teacher in his day and in his place. And not only does Jesus make a move toward the man who is unclean, but he touches him. And when Jesus touches a life, that life is renewed, that life is changed, that life is restored. But it's not just the physical health that is restored. What we're to take from this passage is the reason the instruction is given for him to go back to the priest because the priest functioned as a bit of a medical clearinghouse. And the priest is the one, in this instance, who could uh, pronounce that the person is now clean. And when that pronouncement came, the person who had been set outside of the community is welcomed back into the community. And they're restored into fellowship. It's a beautiful picture of one of the hallmarks of Christian life. It's a togetherness of our relationships in community. It... It is a critical aspect of God's work in the world. It's not a, it's not a second thought. It's you know, Being connected together in community is not just something we can either take or leave as part of our profession of faith. 
You know, I don't believe that God ever intended for individual people to be called to faith in Him, yet to be disconnected from the church. The two go hand in hand. Our life in Christ also means that we are living as part of the body of Christ, and we are integrated together, and we are restored together. Now, certainly there there are times when there's friction in a community like this, isn't there? There are ample opportunities where forgiveness needs to be extended, where you may need to go and seek out forgiveness, where people need to forgive you. That is part and parcel of our Christian living, is learning to walk in Christian love. Jesus said that the world around us would know that we are believers and followers of Him by the way that we what? We love each other. Not just in word. I don't just say it, but I have to show it. I can't just talk about it. I actually have to do it. You know, sometimes after the 20 years now of living here in Marin, 21 years, I don't know, the numbers keep going up. (laughs) But one thing I've noticed over the years is how, how easy, it's not just here, but how easy it can be for people who are connected to a church fellowship and difficulties come, relational difficulties come, and uh, feelings get hurt, or, or whatever it might be. Somebody's actually offended or sinned against us. And, and often our first inclination is kind of wash our hands and to go find another church. And certainly there are times when that may be a necessary step. But what I have discovered, what I've really, I think God has formed a, a deepening conviction in me about, is that often... When those times happen, that those are the invitations of God for me to step into opportunities for God to begin to shape me through the discomfort, right? It's when we're uncomfortable that often we're at most a most open place if we allow God to work in us. But if we turn that off and turn away from that too quickly... We can often miss what God wants to do in your life. And the community gets robbed from being the display of God's grace for the world to see. That it is, you know, so much of the New Testament is written out of conflict and division and where problems were evident and very present in the communities and into those problematic places the, the message goes that the gospel actually has tangibility to it. it. It is intended not to just be something I privately hold, but it finds its way out of expression in the way you and I relate to one another. And so often it's not the absence of conflict, but it's the way in which with the presence of Jesus and His power and His grace in me and in you, the way we work through that together. You see, a community that's restored... A community that's able to walk in wholeness and health is so important, but we have to walk and seek the Lord in it. So that's one of the hallmarks of this community, this new community that Jesus is forming, is that it is a place of healthy, restorative relationships. And then we come, I'm going to summarize the next passage because Jesus comes and the next bit again is in this healing terminology, but it's a description of uh, really the focus is on Jesus forgiving sin. So here's the story. 
It was a different time and a different place. Jesus was inside a house and He's teaching. And so many people had gathered in this house that they were standing out in the doorway and, and the, the hallways were filled and the stairwells were filled and every seat, seating place in the house was filled. And it was standing room only, shoulder to shoulder. You could smell the person next to you whether you liked it or not. It was that tightly packed, right? And these, these guys come carrying their friend on a gurney. He's paralyzed. But they can't get into the house and so they find their way up to the roof, and it was an easy thing to do in the architecture of the day. And uh, they, they, they had an idea. They said, well, if we can't get in to place our friend before Jesus, we're going to find another way. So they end up without tools. You didn't need tools to do this with the way that the roofs were structured. But they began to dig, and they opened up the roof that was made of straw and um, uh, other materials, mud and clay and things. And you can almost picture Jesus in the middle of this house, and he's teaching, and all of a sudden you hear a little rumble up on the ceiling above you. And then this a hole comes out through the ceiling, and suddenly the shaft of light, right? It's an instant skylight has been placed in this home. And then it continues to get bigger and bigger, and you can just picture this big shaft of light getting larger and the dust and everything filling the room. And almost I could imagine Jesus stepping aside to let this debris fall. And they had to make a hole big enough so that they could lower this whole gurney down to be placed in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at, at him and looks at the faith of their friends, and he says, my, my friend, today your sins are forgiven. Now, that may not be a shocking statement for those of us who are very familiar with Jesus. We know Him to be a forgiver of sins. But when you roll back the clock and you, you put yourself back when Jesus was first introducing Himself to the world, and He uses terminology like this, that your sins are forgiven, it's quite an audacious statement. And there were Pharisees there. The Pharisees were people who were, they were so passionate about trying to live a pure life before the Lord. And they, they felt it their duty to be sure everybody else was too, right? So they were always looking and watching. And their problem was that they, they kind of lost sight of the central reality of the spiritual life. And instead of looking at, at God touching and transforming a heart from the inside out, they began to place so much emphasis on just the external things. If I just kind of do the right things, it doesn't matter how well I love, it doesn't matter how deeply I'm committed, uh, all of those things. If I just kind of do and perform the right things, then God is pleased with me. And that's why Jesus had so much conflict with the Pharisees is because He's trying to point us to something different. That it is the heart that Jesus comes to transform, and then out of that transformed heart, then the exterior things begin to fall into place. We begin to do the right things because the heart is now made right because of Christ. So the Pharisees, when Jesus says, Brother, your sins are forgiven, they cannot believe it. And here's their question. Who in the world could forgive sins except God alone? Now, it's a rhetorical question. They're thinking it to themselves. And you know what the answer is? It's not given here, but the Bible gives it. You know what the answer is? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is, exactly. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What is He saying? He is putting Himself 
in, in helping us recognize that He is God in the flesh and the same authority that the Father God has to forgive sins is also the authority that Jesus the Son has as part of the Godhead. Jesus is coming to forgive sins. That is such a strong part of uh, the Christian community. We know it. We, we take it for granted at times, but it is so important that we know that the community of Christ isn't just for good works out there, but it is to be a place that demonstrates what it is to be restored in our relationship to God. And that restoration comes only through the one who is able to forgive sins, the one Jesus. We've been blessed recently... Uh, by having a, a, a visitor who grew up here in Tiburon. She's a, a, um, a student over at Berkeley, and um, she has a desire to come and share her story with us sometime, and we're trying to find a way of doing that and to introduce her to you because it's her request. And Josh and Lauren actually had dinner with her a few weeks ago to hear her story, and she so wonderfully uh, submitted a 15, I think 15-page 15 uh, written description of how she grew up here in Tiburon and uh, religious things and spiritual things were never part of her home life at all. And when she found herself in Berkeley, she was struggling with some some depression and other things and uh, some Christians, part of a Christian ministry on the campus, found her and began to uh, love on her and to include her. And uh, she tells here in her testimony about the forgiveness of Jesus and how she's learning to walk and to live now in this life that Jesus has called her into. I'm really hopeful that we can find a time to introduce her and to let her share her story because she wants you to know that people here, right here in Marin County, who are born and raised right here, are responding to Jesus and His call into their life. But she is discovering what it is to be connected now to Christian community because she has known that Jesus can forgive her sins and begin to touch these deepest parts of her person and is shaping her along the way. As we were at St. Quint last night, one of the songs that so blessed my heart from the men's choir there and their singing was, um, they, w- they would talk about, the, the phrase kept coming back, nothing greater, nothing greater. And the the uh, verses were talking about the different pathways and looking for meaning and purpose in their life, but there's nothing. It all ended in, in helplessness until, uh, aimlessness I mean, until... They came to encounter Jesus and He them, and then the the chorus changed from there's nothing greater to Jesus is the greatest because it was an expression from them of their understanding that God, through Christ, is a great forgiver of our sins. As we wrap up today, I want to read our last little vignette here. Chapter 5, verse uh, 27. So not only is one of the hallmarks of the Christian community that of, a, of Christian faith and the community that Jesus is forming is a restorative and restored community one to another. Not only is it partly that um, Jesus comes to forgive us of our sins and to restore our relationship with God, but now we see again in this healing medical terminology uh, the best place for a doctor. Where do, you, where do you find a doctor? Where have you met doctors? Where do you go to see the doctor? Where does the doctor show up to see you? At the hospital. Hey, about 12 days ago, I was so happy that there were doctors at the hospital when I showed up there, right? Aren't you happy? The doctors are in the places where people need healing. 
That's just what Jesus is about to tell us. After this, so another episode, Jesus, verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, he got up, he left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Isn't that so great? Levi is so excited about what Jesus is doing in his life that he can't help but to share it with his his unbelieving sinner friends. Isn't that great? What a great picture. We should rejoice and uphold this. And everyone should, but not everybody did. So Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors, uh, tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How ludicrous it would be for a a rabbi teacher like Jesus to go and hang out with such people. After all, their sin could bounce over onto Him, right? You can't be associated with people like that, Jesus. That's not the way you do things to be in polite religious company of the day. I want to share with you uh, very briefly a story of Phoebe Palmer because part of our Christian life is a calling to go into the darker places of the world to shine the light of Christ. Part of our calling in Jesus is to go where the healing is at its least so that we can introduce people to the healer so that they can be restored in Him. Phoebe Palmer, back in the mid-1800s, found herself in New York City. And uh, she uh, was, was ministering in so many great ways. And she had this burden to go into the Five Points Borough uh, area of New York City. And it was about as rough as a, of a place as you could find probably on the planet. One uh, historian describes it this way, that Five Points was a frightening warren of brothels, low-grade dives, decayed tenements, and street gangs. Charles Dickens, you know, the, the famed novelist, he came to Five Points one day, and you know he's the one who wrote and uh, helped us understand the, the conditions of London and so much of England during the day through his writings. But he came to Five Points and it was such a rough and tumble place that he wouldn't go and tour the community without two of the biggest, burliest, and baddest police officers he could put on either shoulder and walk with him through that community. And this is how Charles Dickens described Five Points. He said it was the hub of all, that it was loathsome, drooping, and decayed. Poverty was rampant. The housing situation was deplorable. On and on you could go. Phoebe Palmer, because of her Christian life and expression, because of the compelling calling of Jesus to go where the places are darkest and to go where the healing is least and people are most in in desperate need of the healer to touch their life, she, like Jesus, went to those who needed a doctor. And she, uh, in her work of mercy there, and uh, working with poverty and working with children's needs, um, it was really part of the groundbreaking work of rescue missions all around this country and in different parts of the world today. It began to set the precedent. um, And we would know other groups like the Salvation Army and others who, who go into dark and hard places so that the light of Christ and the work of Jesus might be worked out 
among them. You know what, my friends, as God leads you and I, we are led into a restored and healthy community. Uh, Because of the forgiveness of Jesus, we too are called to forgive one another. We are called into a relationship with God that is restored because of the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And we are called to go to those who are in most need of their brokenness to be restored. And sometimes that will take us to challenging places, but that is the call of Jesus upon a church and a community to go where He desires to work. And where do you find the doctor, the great physician? You find Him where the sick people are. And that's part of our calling as well. Lord Jesus, our desire is to be those who know You more deeply every day and to follow You more faithfully wherever You might lead us. We thank You that You are forming a community that began 2,000 years ago. A community of restored relationships with one another. And it's not always easy. God, it's difficult sometimes in a place like this because I am here. Because I don't always bring the best of what this church needs. And not everybody else brings always the best. But God, we want to. We want to learn to love each other deeply, to forgive each other regularly, to seek forgiveness and to be able to confess our own wrong and to see You through it all restore and heal us. God, our desire is to not just be those who know the forgiveness of sin that You offer to us, but to be those who go out and to communicate that regularly with the people around us who so need to know and to be called in and invited in to the great community that You're forming here and the great love that You have for them. And we want to be a church that desires to go into the dark places carrying Your light. We don't go with all the answers but we go with the presence of Jesus ahead of us and with us. We go faithfully, help us, point us in the direction, and may we have the courage to step into it. As you are the great physician, help us to introduce those who are most broken to you so that you might do your work of cleansing and healing of them. We pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing one verse of our final song today.